so we're on question 26 in the Heidelberg Catechism. This is the, uh, we're still in the grace section. We'll be in the grace section for quite some time. Guilt, grace, gratitude. Grace section is the biggest. But it's that part of the grace section that begins the exposition of the Apostles' Creed. So we say the Apostles' Creed, um, a creed that's been said by the Christian church in all nations uh, going back you know, uh, since the early fathers. It's not that the apostles themselves wrote it, but it's that it's apostolic in its doctrine. That's why it's called the Apostles' Creed. Um, around the same time, probably predates the Nicene Creed, which is drafted in 325, went through a few revisions. Anyway, um, that's standard Christianity, Christianity 101. Uh, don't ever go to a church that doesn't confess the Apostles or Nicene Creed. Stay away from that church uh, because it, it, that's standard Christianity. And for uh, a church to say, well, we don't need any creed, we only have the Bible, uh, sounds very pious, but the thing is, is that everybody has a creed. It's either your own that you made up or, you, or your group of friends or your, you know, the sect of uh, believers to which you belong, or it's the same creed that the historic Christian church has used uh, for 2,000 years. Um, and that's what we have with the ancient creeds. Uh, being reformed, uh, at the time of the Reformation in the 16th century, the reformers did not reject the ancient creeds. Uh, they still held to those creeds. And, uh, but we go through each line and explain what we mean uh, when we confess them. And so the first line of the Apostles' Creed is, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And so that, we come now to question 26 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Um, if you want to open up your hymnal to the back there, so we all have the same translation. So this is Lord's Day 9. So question 26, what do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? The eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. question and answer. It's one of the ones that uh, we have the kids memorize. Um, my own kids, this is one of the first ones, one of the first questions they memorize, and we, we try to emphasize it also for their kids in the catechism classes. Uh, it's very compact. It says a lot. And so we want to go through that a little bit. What do we mean when we talk about God the Father? Uh, what exactly does that mean? Well, we want to think about that, the first line in the Apostles' Creed, and, uh, and that first member of the Trinity, the first person in the Trinity. Uh, so we confessed the half of the Athanasian Creed this morning, and uh, we, it's very clear, as that creed uh, confesses and articulates, that God is one in essence, and yet he is three distinct persons. Not three gods, not, and not three parts of one God. 
uh, it, this, this gets to be very difficult sometimes to get our minds around. In fact, we can't fully comprehend that mystical union uh, of the three distinct persons of the Godhead, and yet it's one God. Uh, lots of analogies have been tried over the years, and uh, most of them don't work. Um, you know, God is like water in three forms, uh, liquid, gas, solid. Um, that's actually an ancient heresy called modalism, uh, where you have God, one, and he just appears in three different forms. Uh, what you end up with, if you, if you adopt that view of the Trinity, is the Father dying on the cross. It's just another form of God. And it wasn't the Father who died on the cross. It was the Son who died on the cross. And the Son is not the Father, and the Father is not the Son. The Father does not have a body. He never assumed human nature. And the Holy Spirit does not have a body. He never assumed human nature. The Son did. Uh, the Son is fully man and fully God. So we don't like it because it doesn't compute in our minds, because we're finite, and God is infinite. And yet we're called to believe these things because God has revealed them in his word. And it's okay if there are certain, a couple things that are mysterious and we can't quite get our minds around. Because remember, we're creatures. We have limitations. Uh, there, we, we haven't existed from all eternity. Uh, we are not omnipresent uh, or omnipotent or omniscient. And yet God is. And so for certain things, uh, when God describes them, uh, he has to use uh, language that accommodates our finitude and our humanness. And, uh, and we have to understand that he's speaking, like Calvin said, with a sort of baby talk. Um, and yet, the things that he has revealed in his word uh, about this mystical union of the three persons, and as we're going to consider today, uh, the Father, uh, there is enough for us to uh, uh, develop certain doctrines and, and understandings based on what Scripture tells us. And so there's a lot that we can say about God our Father, um, but let's just think about a few things this morning. First of all, he's the first person in the Trinity. There's a reason why it goes in that order, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Uh, now, it doesn't mean that they have ranks. It's not that you know, God the Father outranks the Son, and the Son outranks the Holy Spirit, and, uh, and it works that way. Uh, it's very important that we understand that they are distinct, and yet we don't want to suggest that there is any priority in their rank or even in their time, uh, one over the other. It's not as if the Father is greater or more divine, more godlike than the Son. Uh, now, that might cause us some concerns right there, because there's passages in the New Testament where it sounds as if the Son is less than the Father, right? And you know who loves to show you those passages? are those well-meaning, very sweet people who belong to that ancient heresy called Arianism who show up to your door, always show up to my door around 10, 11 o'clock on Saturday morning. Uh, and, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses or the, you know, the two young guys, pimply-faced, that have the word elder uh, with the white shirts. And, uh, you know, they, they, they've been taught something different. And they'll always point out those passages because they deny the deity of Christ where they'll say, well, you see here it says that son is less than the Father. So how do we mesh that with the understanding that the Son is equal to the Father as we confessed in the Athanasian Creed? Well, we have to understand that the Son in his divinity is not less than the Father in his divinity, but when the Son assumed human nature, 
which he did at a particular point in human history uh, about 2,000 years ago, and he had a certain eye color, hair color, DNA. He did not have that before he was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary. Uh, when he assumes that human nature, it's not that he stops becoming God, he continues to be God, but in, his, in taking on his humanity, he puts himself in a, so in a voluntarily uh, subordinate place to the Father in order to accomplish our redemption. So he p- takes a place as a servant to the Lord. And again, it's as Paul tells us in Philippians 2, it's not that he uh, tried to grasp at divinity, he's already divine, but he set aside his insignia, as, he wa- as it were. He, he put aside his, you know, uh, his divine insignia, like a general who maybe takes off his, uh, his rank and, uh, and looks like an ordinary person, an ordinary civilian, and he does that voluntarily in order to be our Redeemer because he has to come with our same human nature. That does not mean, though, that God the Son is somehow less than the Father. When Christ says, my Father is greater than all, he's speaking in a way that uh, highlights his voluntary role as the servant to the Lord, accomplishing the work that the Father gave him to do. The Father and the Son agree to this work, and the Son comes in the fullness of time. And then we might say, well, what about Father and Son? I mean, how does that even work? Well, again, it's, it's hard for us to, to get our minds around. We have to understand that w- apart from the... He cannot be the Father unless there is also a Son, and the Son cannot be the Son unless there is also a Father. Uh, but they are equally eternal, equally divine, and everything that is attributed to the God the Father in the Old Testament, or we could say Yahweh, is also attributed to the Son in the New Testament. And there are plenty of passages that we can look at to, to, uh, to show very easily that the Son is worshipped as the Father is, that the Son is as divine as the Father is. But we say that he is the first person in the Trinity. Uh, we're simply affirming his relationship to the Son, and we shouldn't take it beyond that. It's a mysterious and eternal relationship that has existed from all eternity past, which in itself is hard for us to get our finite minds around. Uh, But nevertheless, uh, it's something that is revealed in Scripture. One person as the initiator and one person as the actor on our behalf. And so the Son complies with the will of the Father, coming uh, on our behalf to accomplish our redemption voluntarily. Uh, But the name Father, it it also shows us that he is a personal deity. And uh, we want to understand that, you know, just as we have a father in this life, biologically, uh, we have a father in heaven because of the Son. And this is what uh, uh, question 26 is getting at that the eternal Father, look at, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and everything in them, who still upholds and rules them by his eternal counsel and providence, we'll get to that in a minute, is my God and Father 
because of Christ his son. Now, this is important because there are some in the world who would say that, well, we're all children of God. We're all children of God, uh, whether you are Christian or Muslim or whatever religion you are. Well, we are all created in the image of God. But according to Scripture, we are only children of God through Jesus Christ. So Romans chapter 8. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And also in uh, Galatians uh, chapter 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So then you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. The only way we can receive the Holy Spirit is through Jesus Christ. It's Christ, who upon his ascension, sent the Holy Spirit upon his church. And so it's only, we only receive that through faith. So in order, to, in order to call God our Father, we have to come through Jesus Christ. As Jesus said in the upper room in John chapter 14, um, I am the way, the, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. And so uh, it's important that we understand that it's only through that redemptive work of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ that we become children of the living God. And we're adopted because of the only begotten Son. Any questions on that? Questions on that so far? Okay. And the Father is personal. We have a relationship with him. Uh, he is the one, as Jesus told us, who is the, uh, the recipient of our prayers. Uh, many of you heard me say this many times. You know, it's, it's okay to pray to Jesus, but it's not the way Jesus taught us to pray. There are only two places in all of the New Testament that I know of that mention Jesus in a prayer. Uh, it's when Stephen was being stoned, and I think Acts chapter 8, He says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then at the very end of the Bible, it says, come Lord Jesus. I'm not aware of any other place where uh, a prayer is directed to Jesus. It's not a sin to pray to Jesus, but it's not the way Jesus taught us to pray. When his disciples came to him and said, teach us to pray, he didn't say, pray like this, Lord Jesus. He didn't say that. And maybe your parents taught you to pray that way. Maybe you've taught your kids to pray that way. Um, but Jesus didn't teach us to pray that way. How did Jesus teach us to pray? Our Father. He's the mediator. He's the one that brings us to the Father. That's how, how Jesus has taught us to pray. It goes through the Son, but um, to the Father. And there is no place in Holy Scripture where you, you pray, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I've heard many people pray that way before. Again, okay, it's not wrong to do that, 
but it's not in the Bible. The role of the Holy Spirit is to illuminate Jesus Christ. That's what he said in John 14, 15, and 16. When he comes, he will not testify of himself, he will testify of me. And when we pray to the Father, we pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, I realize sometimes it sounds good, we want to be Trinitarian, but a more proper way to do it would be to pray to the Father, through the Son, thanking him, Father, for the work of the Son, and thanking him also for the work of the Holy Spirit, but always directing our prayers to the Father. That's, that's important for us to think about, because he is, he, he is not an invisible force. He is a living God uh, and a person with whom we have a relationship. And uh, let me just take it one step further, if I haven't made you feel bad about your prayers already. That's okay. That's what we're here for. It's catechism. We're cleaning up bad practices, cleaning them up. Okay, that's all. It's not to make you feel bad. It's just to, we want to do what Jesus said. We got to go with what Jesus. We got to, we got to go with Jesus. We got to go. He's, this is how he said to pray. We do it his way. We do it his way. Not grandma's way. Jesus' way. Okay? Because grandma's not Jesus. That's how we roll in a Christ centered church. That's how we roll in Christianity. Um, and uh, here's something, we'll go a step even further. Just hang with me for a sec. Because this one I hear sometimes. You don't want to be too critical of people's prayers. And don't ever correct somebody for praying poorly. Um, just teach a catechism class subtly later. And uh, help them out of their, 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 their bad practices. But sometimes I'll hear people pray modalistic prayers. Uh, heretical prayers. They start this way. Um, uh, our Father in heaven... You know, uh, thank you, God, for this day. Da, 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 da. In your name we pray. Amen. Don't raise your hand if you've ever done that before. But that's not a proper Christian prayer. We're never told to pray in the name of the Father. We're told to pray in the name of the Son. And when you say, our Father, you're not praying to the Son. You're praying to the Father. And then to say, in your name we pray, amen, you switched it up. And then if others are listening, particularly children, they get confused. And well, maybe the Father is the Son, and the Son is the Father. And, uh, and this is why we have creeds, like the Athanasian Creed, to help us and to understand what Scripture actually says. But you can also just go back to what Jesus says. Jesus says, ask things in my name. Pray to the Father and ask things in my name. So what am I saying? I'm just saying be careful when you address the living God in prayer. That's all. Put some thought into it. Put some thought into it. Yes, it's okay to, to, to babble like a child sometimes, and sometimes we get it wrong, and sometimes you know, we, we say things we don't mean. But let's try to put some thought into it. You know, or even worse, uh, thank you, Father, for this day. We thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. <clears throat> it wasn't the Father who died on the cross for our sins. It was the Son. Now, are we just going to say, oh, roll our eyes, that really doesn't matter. God knows what we're talking to. Oh, that's right. That's right. In fact, why don't we just call him Allah? Because he knows, after all, right? He knows our hearts. No, that's not right. We need to go with the way that God has told us to. And so we have to understand that we have a relationship with the Father. We are his children. And it's through the Son, with whom we also have a relationship, as our mediator. The mediator is the one that brings us to the Father. And we have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, 
who is, the, who is the one who indwells us and unites us to the Lord Jesus and directs us to the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus is the object of our faith because he's the one that is incarnate, lived, died, and rose again, and he's the one who still has a human body and we will see one day face to face. But it's because of him that we have been reconciled to the Father. As the Catechism says, he is my God and my Father because of Christ his Son. And he's able to do all these good things here in question 26. Why? Because he is Almighty God and he desires to do this because he is a faithful Father. And so we think of those you know, great words in Psalm 103. Um, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love to those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. It's talking about God the Father and what he has done for us through the Son, who is the object of our, of our faith. Questions on that? No, it's okay. It's okay. This is catechism class is what we're here for. Yeah, of the Son. Yeah. 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 Right, and he passes through. Well, yeah, so that's a good question. And what we, ha- what we have to understand is that there are two different things in uh, the Old Testament when there are these uh, appearances of God. Um, in theology, we'll call uh, some theophanies, th- theo, coming from the Greek word theos, for God, others Christophanies. You know? So, pre, as you said, pre-incarnate appearances of the Son of God, of Christ. Uh, others are uh, more vague in terms of the personhood. We just know that Yahweh, God, has appeared. So, for example, yeah, the, the, the Lord passing by. He can assume for himself uh, uh, an appearance, like he did with um, Abraham in smoke and fire. Um, my Old Testament professor, Meredith Klein, said that these were typically uh, appearances of the Holy Spirit. And he shows uh, uh, lots of exegetical proof for that. Um, but there is mystery there. I mean, when you have the Israelites going through uh, the, the wilderness, uh, God is leading them through uh, a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. And uh, we often don't think about this, but it looked like legs of God. Because it, it, it's, it's marching. Fire by night smoke by day, like legs of God leading them into the promised land. Um, yeah, which person is that? Uh, well, there's some exegetical evidence to suggest that those kinds of what we call theophanies uh, are the Holy Spirit, you know, bringing some kind of manifestation for people to see. But what we ought to do is just be able to stand back and say, yes, God somehow uh, appeared in these ways that he chose. When you have, you have other uh, places 
where a man appears and there's enough exegetical evidence to show from the New Testament that it's the son, not that the son always had a body, but he can assume that at different points in history, as he did in the fiery furnace with Daniel, uh, as he does with Joshua when he says, I'm the commander of the Lord, as he does with Jacob when he wrestles with Jacob. Uh, but in the, at the end, we have to confess that there are certain mysteries there. And it's, it's just, at the end of the day, God appearing in, uh, in either human or in uh, some kind of natural form, supernaturally, if, if that makes sense. Absolutely, yeah. Right. No, that, yeah, you're thinking of uh, Exodus chapter 17, where Moses struck the rock, remember, and water came forth, and he brought judgment. And then uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 that that rock was Christ, from which the water flowed, and that Christ was the one who bore our judgment, who bore the hidden. Well, y- yeah, 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 exactly. That's more symbolic, and it's what we call it's typology. It's a type in the Old Testament that uh, points to the Lord Jesus Christ. Not that all of a sudden the Son of God came into the world and appeared as a rock, you know, uh, but rather that that rock and what happened points us to Jesus Christ. That's, that's the point that Paul is making. Yeah. Well, the capital A, remember, is just a, a manufacturer. Um, it's not in Hebrew. Um, the, the better way to know if it's the angel of the Lord is how. There should be one thing that sticks out when you're coming in the Old Testament and you read of the angel of the Lord. How do you know that that's God or how do you know it's an angel? Worship. Angels do not receive worship. Angels are creatures. Angels, look at John when the, John falls down. Because when you see an angel, like every time I see an angel... Uh, you know, you, you freak out. I mean, when you read scripture, every time an angel appears, almost every time, people are afraid. And usually one of the first things the angel says is, fear not, don't be afraid. Uh, and then think of John when he falls down to worship the angel because he's freaking out. The angel says, don't do that. You, uh, you know, I'm a servant of the living God. Um, however, when you have an angel that receives worship, it's either Satan as a false appearing as an angel of light, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, or it's, um, it, it's a manifestation of God the Son, uh, like with Joshua and you know, in many other places. And so, so yeah. And the, the thing we want to keep in mind, uh, I, guess the, I guess the thing I want to emphasize today, is that we have a personal relationship that is good with the Father. That's important for us to think about. Modern American evangelicalism, you know, we talk about the gospel as having a personal relationship with Jesus. And obviously that's just very reduced down to um, something that sometimes is not so helpful. Everybody has a relationship with God. Everybody in the whole world. You either have a good relationship or a bad relationship. And what's your relationship based on? Yeah, Christ. Here's the symbol for Christ. Okay. Your relationship is either with God outside of Christ, and that's a bad relationship because God is holy 
and, he, and he's going to uh, judge you for your sin because you don't have a mediator. You need someone who has satisfied his justice and who makes you acceptable to him, and that's Jesus Christ. And so if we come to God through Jesus Christ, then we know him as our father through adoption. And you have a personal relationship with him that is good. One to whom you pray. He's no longer your judge. He's your father in heaven. And uh, he's your father, as Psalm 103 says, who does not deal with you according to your sins. Why? Because he dealt with your sins in Christ. He's compassionate and merciful. Yes, as a loving father, a patient father, he may have to discipline you sometimes. But it's only to, to bring about the promise that he has made to you to make him more like his son. He won't give up on you, even when you may give up on him. Uh, he's committed himself to you, all because of Jesus Christ. And you have a relationship with him. He doesn't ignore you, even when you ignore him. And... Uh, He's far more interested to hear you pray than you are to pray and far more excited to give you the things that you need than you are even to ask for them. You have a relationship with the Father. And so as the, we cry, Abba, Father, uh, just as a child needs a daddy, uh, we need a heavenly Father. And it's Christ who's come to bring us to him. And uh, as... Heidelberg uh, 26 points out, he's a, a father to a child. I, I trust him so much that I do not doubt he'll provide for me whatever I need for body and soul. Body, what are some things he provides for us for body? Shelter, food, clothes. There's no, it's not a trick question. Okay. You know, all that stuff, all that stuff. What's that? Tortillas? Turkey? Okay. Uh, my wife would say tortillas for sure. Um, but also for your body, supremely, the resurrection of your body. And what does he provide for your soul? Holy Spirit, gospel, Lord's Supper, communion of the saints. He doesn't leave you. He hasn't, and he hasn't left you an orphan. Even though Christ, your mediator, has ascended into heaven, they have sent the Holy Spirit who indwells you who's the one by whom you cry out, Abba, Father. He's the one that, that, that leads you to pray. It leads you to say, Father, I've messed up. I'm such a sinner. And the one who assures you that, yes, but uh, the Father sent the Son for you. He's the one who, who tells you, as surely as you put the bread and wine in your mouth, you are right with God because of Jesus Christ who gave his body and blood. And so uh, all three persons are at work in your redemption. And you have a relationship with all three. But supremely, Christ comes in order to bring you, to reconcile you to the Father. Well, we need to keep that in mind when we pray. Yeah, in terms of this issue of we're all God's children, and in the course of a conversation with uh, people, is Yeah. No. Paul doesn't leave it alone. 
Um, here's where I'd go. I'd go to Ephesians 2. Somebody brings up. I think, we, I think we, we talked about this before. Isn't this a question? Yeah, I would, but I would go to Ephesians 2. Yeah, sure, after I would say, yeah, um, well, how did you come to that conclusion? What makes you say that? I go to Ephesians 2, and look what it says. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Drops mic, walks off stage. That conversation's done. It just ended. Um, the only way you cannot, you're a child of wrath apart from Christ. And they can say whatever they want. But the Bible says that. And the only way we can be a child of, of God is through Jesus Christ. So, again, we, get, we have to go with what Jesus says. That's how it works in Christianity. And so, even though it might not, that, you know, and it doesn't go, it doesn't mesh well with what's popular in society. It, Christianity never has. Christianity is countercultural. Picking up a cross and following a Savior who died on a cross is not a, a glorious best life right now. And so it's all opposite. And saying that, no, we're children of wrath, again, it's like when I opened up Micah 1. I'm like, well, where's all the warm fuzzies I'm supposed to feel? Well, this is the word of God, and we have to go. We have to go with what it says. But here's the good news: you can be a child of God. You can, not on your terms, but on God's terms, which He offers to everyone. If you will only come through the Son, for He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father, as Jesus says. So, yeah, Chris. Sure. Right, right. Sure. Well, there is a sense in which, I mean, sometimes people are saying children of God, you have to understand what, what they mean by it. If they're talking about, as many you know, popes have, that we're all made in the image of God and that we ought to love all, okay, I get that. Um, but that's different than saying we're all children of God in the sense that we are right with God, as the current pope has said. The previous pope did not say that. The previous pope was quite different in his doctrine. And that's not official Catholic dogma either, uh, what the pope is saying today. There's a difference between what a pope says and official Catholic dogma. Um, but yeah, a lot of, there's a lot of Catholic theology that looks at it that way, you know, as if we're all going to heaven no matter what uh, because of Jesus. But that's not what Jesus says. Um, you have to come through him. And it's, uh, it's, it's as simple as believing that he rose from the dead, believing in your heart that he rose from the dead and confessing with your mouth that he is Lord. Romans 10 says, and you will be saved. Saved from who? Saved from who? God. Saved from God. Saved from meeting his wrath. Saved by God from God. And, uh, again, not saved from a, a lower, a less happy life, but saved from his judgment that's coming. 
And again, that judgment that he did in, in all of history. The flood, Sodom and Gomorrah, Canaan, and then when he brought judgment against Samaria and Jerusalem. All of that, those are all harbingers. They're all pointing to the final judgment that will come on the day of judgment. But we can escape that judgment through the Son, who came in the fullness of time. The same God who hates sin is the same God who in his grace and mercy and love uh, has come into the world to rescue wicked sinners. Uh, There is no greater news to hear in all of life than that. And uh, what, what what a glorious thing that on this day we can say God is no longer our judge but our Father because he judged Christ in our place. And so now... I can, I can be sure that he's going to provide what I need for body and soul. And that he'll even turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this sad world. Now, where does that, where does that language come from? In our last couple minutes here, are there any passages in Scripture that, that um, ring a bell when you hear that? Romans 8, yeah. Think of Romans 8 when he says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. God's the one that sends the adversity. So, you know, the, um, whatever it is, the illness, the injury, the lost job, the broken relationship, things that happen in this world that go wrong. And we're going to look at this next week as we talk about providence, how God can even use the evil acts of men for his own purposes. However, he allows us, even sends upon us, particular adversity, but he does so in such a way that it works for our good. And you asked him to do it. You asked him to send you adversity. You're saying, what are you talking about? Every time you pray for patience, every time you pray for sanctification, you ever prayed, Lord, make me more like Jesus? That's what's happening. And then, and then, you know, are you serious? I can't believe this. Well, you, you, you had asked. Yeah, but my view of how my sanctification was going to work didn't involve this. You know, I, I, was, I was stepping in the box waiting for that, you know, easy fastball, 70 miles an hour, and he throws, you know, th- this uh, cutter or this, this breaking ball that I can't hit. Well, he, you know, you don't get to say how it's all going to work out. But the adversity that comes into your life, okay? And what's so funny is so often, you know, a lot of charismatic Christians, well, we blame it all on Satan. Because, you know, God's not in control. Hey, as Martin Luther said, even Satan is God's Satan. God rules over all. And the adversity that we have, that's hard, I understand, at times. Nevertheless, it is for our good. Because even the thing we lost, as much as we may love it, it's not our God. It's not our Savior. Our Savior is Jesus. And it's, not that God's, it's not that God's punishing you. It's that he's doing a work in your heart. It's like when he told Jonah, go to Nineveh. And just as when the storm hit, and he'll rescue you. It might come in the form of a big fish. And they'll say, okay, now, go to Nineveh. 
because he's committed himself to you to do a work of grace in your heart. This is Christianity. Anything else is false religion. There's lots of false religions out there. But this is the God of the Bible who's revealed. And you can trust him. You can trust him. He upholds all things and rules them by his eternal counsel and providence. He is my God and Father because of Christ his Son. I trust him so much that I do not doubt that he will provide whatever I need, not whatever I want, but whatever I need for body and soul. And he will turn to my good, Romans 8, whatever adversity he sends me in this sad world. He is able to do this because he is almighty God. He desires to do this because he is a faithful father. Let's keep in mind, too, that when the uh, author of the Heidelberg Catechism wrote that in 1563, what was the life expectancy of people? How was modern medicine? What was the infant mortality rate? These are people who were used to death and disease. And it makes you realize even more that um, this is what being a Christian is all about. It's about being reconciled to the Father. That's the point and the purpose of your life, to enjoy him and to bring him glory. Any uh, final questions or thoughts? Yeah, so if you, if you see the, it's a good question, you know, did, the, did uh, Zacharias or Sinus put all the, if you read his commentary, his, uh, the references in the, that you find in the Heidelberg, as you have it, are all in his commentary. So, yeah. Yeah, without a computer. Without even an ink pen as we have it. Yep. We are the heirs of so much, so much. And yet we have as much biblical illiteracy today as there was in the Dark Ages. It's, just, it's not a good time uh, for the Church of Jesus Christ. And yet we still have you know, these gems, like the Heidelberg Catechism, you know, that help direct us back to Scripture and give us uh, good, sound biblical doctrine. So... Yeah, Justin. All right, so um, if we can only know God as Father through the mediator of the Son, um, does that mean that Adam didn't know God as Father and only as... Yeah, great question. So glad you asked. That's a covenant theology question. So can we know... Did, did Adam know God the Father? Well, Adam, remember, before the fall, doesn't need a mediator. He, he is in a covenant of works... He's created in true righteousness, true righteousness and true holiness. He has no sin. So God is not against him. So if we could just be like that, we wouldn't need a mediator. You know, that's why I always say, if you ever meet an innocent person, you don't have to tell them about Jesus. He doesn't need Jesus. He's already going to heaven. Uh, Jesus came for guilty people, not for innocent people. And uh, so Adam, uh, he doesn't, the moment he sins, though, he needs a mediator which is why he's now hiding from God, which is why he's trying to cover himself with fig leaves and why God then kills an animal, shedding of blood, and covers Adam of his shame and his naked. Because before he had no shame before God, now he's got shame before God, like we feel. 
So all of that ultimately shows us uh, the human need for a mediator, because like Adam, we are all sinners. And not only from our first sin, but from conception on. So great question. And um, yeah, it has to do with, you know, the point in which Adam lives before the fall. So, All right, I think we're right at the hour, and uh, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the time that you've given us to consider these things just briefly. There is so much you have revealed in your word about yourself, and we thank you that we have a good relationship with you, our Father, through your Son, whom you have sent in the fullness of time. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that because of his work, that you receive us and you always will, and that you are for us, not against us. And we thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit, convicting our hearts and by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Father, help us to know you more, to know your word better, and to follow Christ, your Son, whom you have sent for our sakes all of our days. And help us to draw near to you day by day in prayer and worship and singing and to receive from you, Lord, happily. Thank you for caring for us in this life and giving us all that we need in body and soul. Forgive us of our complaining and and here are our expressions of gratitude as we recognize that, Lord, you have given us every good thing, you, the Father of lights. And so we, we come to you through Jesus and we ask for your continued blessing upon us, Father. Cause our faith in Christ to grow stronger and our hope in heaven, our true eternal home, to be bolder. For this we ask through Christ our Lord. Amen.